Alrighty. All right. We're hooked up. <laughs> We're hooked up, ready to go. Hi, welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. And I'm Sandy Mellon. And uh, more more uh, tales from the trap line today. Yeah, well, a little bit. we got some other information as well. Oh, yes, some good stuff. One of the very first things I want to talk about, though, is that we are actually going to have our own coffee. Yes, well, our friends at Old Smokes Coffee... Um, approached us and asked us if we would like to do a brew of our own. So we're doing a brew of our own. But we're still, I think we've got two choices on that are coming to us to choose from, right? Yes. Well, yeah. well there's no choice about how dark a brew it's going to be. It's going to be an, an ultra. ultra dark. Because yeah. we love dark coffee. Well, a lot of people, people don't understand is that uh, everybody thinks that when the darker the brew... That the more caffeine, but there's less caffeine. Yeah. Because the caffeine actually evaporates off as it's as it's roasted. I'm not sure if evaporate is the right word. Well. <laughs> Someone <laughs> will call us on that. I'm so. sure they will. And you yeah. can reach me at info at trappinginc.com and tell me all about it. <laughs> tell me how wrong we were. So uh, Old Smokes does uh, traditional coffee, which is just roasted over hot air. So like Sandy could be a, a, a coffee roaster. Lots of hot air. <laughs> Someone's getting coal in his stocking this year. I'm going to talk about that right after this, about about Christmas. you you got a surprise coming. Oh, Any, anyway, good. they do that, but then they do the traditional roasting, but then they do the smoke roasting. So what smoke roasting is, is that originally when, when coffee was discovered, and I don't know how many, you know, uh, permutations it took before somebody decided how to make coffee into something edible, into the wonderful elixir we drink today, but was originally they roasted it over fires. Right. Okay, so they, you know, you got a lot of the the smoke flavor could be added into it, and that became a very, very big thing, but got lost when we hit the modern world because the modern world, everything's right now. Well, we now. want everything so fast, like exactly. you say. And and now, um, you know, the faster the better, and, and you can roast traditional coffee um, using gas heat. I think that's what most coffee roasters use or at least that's what old smokes uses yep. and they they can roast um a, a custom roast or whatever in about 20 minutes yep. and it takes quite a bit longer over the smoked um over the wood fire yeah. over the wood fire and it's a lot more because when they're roasting with with air i mean they, they get also the chance that you use the air to move the beans so they right. don't burn or whatever well they can't do that on the fire so they mm -hmm. have to do it themselves they have to be there yeah so it is a it's like, um, and it's and it's starting to be uh, quite a, a craft, like craft beer, yep. you know, are, yep. are popping up everywhere. And uh, we went to a craft brewery in, I think it was Wisconsin, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the cow one. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> I had, really enjoyed you, it. You had the sampler pack and got I wobbly had the on the... <laughs> I, yeah, I had the sampler pack and was assisted to the vehicle later. Anyway, it was good fun. We were on our way to a trapping convention. We, which were, was, we yeah. were, had a blast. We yeah. had a blast. But the neat thing about the the uh, roasting over the over the fire and, and the slow roasting is that it roasts the bitter out of the bean. Correct. So your bean becomes very smooth. Yes. And... Uh, he has uh, like medium dark roasts and dark roasts and, and an extra dark. We're going with an ultra dark. Yeah. And so alder is one. One of, of the, the ones that we're uh, going to try is alder. Yeah. And, and the, the other, other is? Mesquite. Mesquite. So 
Anyway, stay tuned because um, we, we those... might we might ask for for uh, uh, advice. We might uh, you know do a which ones you like better, a vote or whatever. Or just use my impeccable taste. <laughs> okay. More on that later. <laughs> anyway, you can <laughs> you can go to oldsmokescoffee.com. Uh, old so it's O L E smokescoffee.com. And any uh, order you make there, use our promo code, Trapping Inc., all one word. Use our, our promo code and get 10% off of your order. Yep. And that, that, that doesn't include anything that we've got cooking no. uh, for, the new, for the new brew. But they have a lot of really excellent choices there. And I would highly recommend that you try them out. So. Oh, we, we enjoy their extra dark. Yeah. We're looking forward to the ultra yeah, dark. Yeah, we do. We do. So... so before we go on anything else, you mentioned that this is going to be, uh, you know, we look at the schedule on the big schedule on the wall there because our life is all charted, right? Uh-huh. Our life is, <laughs> is all charted. And the big schedule on the wall says that this is going to air right at Christmas. Oh. So we're going to go away for just a minute here. I'm going to, I'm going to inject a, a little piece of footage. If I don't get this done, this is going to look really stupid. But I'm going to inject a little piece of footage about your Christmas present. I'm a little nervous, <laughs> I gotta say. Okay. Watch this. We'll be right back. So, I had a hard time figuring out what to get the girl who has everything for Christmas. <laughs> You're buying girls with everything for Christmas. <laughs> well, you gotta. I didn't get you a new door for the outhouse. That's not what the bow is. Oh, open it up. <laughs> There's a glow in here. It's, Sometimes, you know, in the movies, when things glow behind closed doors, they're not good things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Heat lamp. Look at that. That's awesome. The girl that has everything as, as a heated lit outhouse now, huh? I couldn't think of anything else more perfect to get you, babe. Okay, next year I'll make a list. <laughs> well, that was kind of fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess next on the list next on the list well we did talk about nafa um north american fur auctions which yes. i think um met most or many uh trappers in north america do ship their furs to the auction or did uh, or did so there were two auctions, uh, both based out of Canada, yeah. right? Uh, Depending on the year, sometimes there were three, sometimes yeah. there were four. But, it, but there are two auction houses. Two auction houses, yes. Yes. For Harvester's Auction. Yes. Which is the, the last man standing, and uh, NAFA, which is North American Fur Auctions. During our last podcast or a podcast before that or whatever, we talked a little bit about what was going on with NAFA, and... I repeated some stuff that wasn't entirely correct, and so I want to get that straight now. Yeah. Um, I was repeating what I was told, and, and since then, a even more inside insider reached out and, and uh, got, got to, to me straight. We had been led to believe that it was guarantees, like auction, um, uh, minimum bids, that sort of thing. Yeah. That they, they, were, they were guaranteeing what they were going to get for, for their, uh, their mink and that, that they were dealing with the... With the ranches. Yeah. And we thought that was what pulled them down. It was actually something called deferred funds. And I'd heard it before, and I, but I, I thought I was talking again about this, uh, the, the guarantee, the, the restricted or the um, reserve bids, right? Yeah. But no, there was, there was a little bit to do with uh, financing for the, uh, 
for the ranchers, and that was with kit loans and with feed loans, which was what allowed them to then get their, you know, their young born and get them get them fed up to the size where where they could pelt them out. Uh, but what the reserve uh, or the deferred funds was, is the, and that's where these kit loans and pelt loans come from, or, or feed loans, pardon me, with, out of this deferred funds. And that, what that was was that in um, 2013, when NAFA dropped the hammer, they had a $900 million year. That was when the last hammer fell. And they were of the belief that it was going to... That was back in 2013, you 2000, said. Yeah. That's, yeah, 2013. They had the belief that it was never going to end. And, of course... We live in. It's oil a commodity, country. like anything else, well, and well, we li- we live in oil country in Alberta, and and we've seen boom and bust, boom and bust. Well, and so many time, people said a hundred dollar oil was that was the new norm, and away we go. Well, and every time somebody says it's never going to end, I start squirreling away my nuts because I know it's about well, to end. Well, you know, we kind of <laughs> try and follow the <laughs> the rule of thumb of. Um, Good investors who who say when when everybody is getting greedy, um, I cash out, and when everybody is yeah Warren Buffett school of of investing, and when everyone is getting out, I get back in, and it's worked really well for Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Um, well, who was it um, talking about? The, you know, the latest bubble was the Bitcoin bubble, right? Yes. And somebody said, he was an investment advisor, he says, when your taxi driver is telling you to invest in Bitcoin, it's already over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and I, I know people who bought it at $25,000 thinking that it was Ouch. just going to go. And I think it's somewhere, like it's not as bad as it was, but it's somewhere around $6,000 yeah, now. Yeah. Anyway, we've got way off track here. That's so... the beauty of this. It's not like we're on a clock, no. other, than, other than how long the battery lasts. <laughs> and how long people want to watch. This what? is not an investment show, by the way. No, but what happened was is that they thought it was going to last for forever. This $100 yeah. mink was going to last forever. And at that time, they were it was 30 or 40 bucks to get uh, that mink to pelt out stage, yes. right? Yes. That's what they had invested in, and so they're at a hundred bucks. They're making making a tidy profit, and they figured it was going to last for forever. So I'm I'm not sure how or why they started with this deferred funds, but it turned out that defer whether the auction offered this to them or they just said to the auction, "Where well, I don't need all that money right now," and whether that was a way of deferring. So what deferment means is that the individual who whose fund or company whose funds aren't are deferred for payment, don't pay tax on it until they actually receive the funds. Oh, okay. That's what I know in my world. Okay. They might have had a different arrangement with okay. NAFA um, and and whatnot. But uh, anyway, it is essentially money owed to the, in this case, it was the, the fur ranchers. And they elected to leave it in the NAFA accounts for working capital, and they were paid um, a higher rate of interest than that they would have gotten likely on any uh, secure investment that they might have made outside of NAFA. So I think being that NAFA had been in business for so many years, um, years or something, uh, they, I think they felt, and everyone felt that was involved in this particular venture or 
or agreement that the funds were very safe. But of course, I think what everyone who who has any knowledge of the fur industry at all, since 2013, the prices have not been as strong. Well, they keep going down, down a little bit, little bit, little bit. It kept going down until I think about 16 was when the bloodbath started. So what happened? So what, in other words, ranched mink are not worth $100 a pelt no, any longer. No, 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 no. No, they, they started to drop. And, and we know, we understand that part of it. Part of it was that there was this false economy that had been created in, in China, China, especially where, because mm-hmm. the people that were importing, I use the word loosely in air quotes, importing, because they weren't, they were actually smuggling it in. Yes. And they got caught for not paying customs and excise tax on it, and those people have gone to jail. So that part we had straight, and that was the, the end of that, that false economy. But at the same time, NAFA now was, was so married to that money, uh, or th- this is, once again, my feeling that, you know, NAFA was so uh, indebted to the, to the ranch um, mink uh, farmers or to the, to the they, they were so addicted to the money that was there, they really abandoned North America. Like, they did not advertise much in North America. For yeah. wild, wild fur was just a, a, an extra thing to them. These, the folks that they were selling mink to in China and that, that they didn't care whether it was ranched or wild, just that it was fur. Yeah, so we've likened it in the past to the Walmart of furriers exactly. or, or yeah. fur um, as, a, as a garment or as, a, as a, a, a quality item of some sort, whether that was a cushion or whatever. It was, it was high turnover, low, yeah. low per, per It wasn't of the, per... the quality garments that w- what we see, um, and a little plug for our our very favorite furrier out of Red Deer, Sis and Furs. Um, the quality of the garments that they stock there, and then of course Lyle is a is a furrier yep. himself, and so he he makes custom items like the beautiful set of of. Um, beaver gauntlet mitts that I got for Christmas last year. I'm yeah. hoping that's what you all saw when you <laughs> saw that little video clip, but somehow I'm thinking it's not. Anyway, um, the, there are entire malls in China, or there were, yep. that were dedicated to only fur. Every store, and there was hundreds of them. 1,200. In what The one I saw, there was 1,200 stores there, and each one of them was a single bay op- front door opening, and, yeah. and it was like... They all had the same thing. They had a mink coat, mink coats hanging in there of different colors, but they were all the same, one after another, one after another. Twelve hundred stores in a city. It's not like it was Beijing or some city that I even heard of. But I mean, you know, there's so many people in in China. I yeah. mean, the, the, that that I didn't hear about it was wasn't remarkable. But that was just remarkable that there that there would be a mall that had twelve hundred food yeah. stores in it. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of where where things were heading and where. Um, NAFA was kind of putting all of their eggs in that basket, if you like. Well, they so. needed to maintain that 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 high turnover of because they had all that fur that they were indebted to the to, and they to had the all ranchers. that money that yeah. they were and so. But slowly over time, um, cash flow decreased and and profits eroded and uh, to to defend the bank that they were dealing with yeah. was. Uh, the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. and So CIBC. Lot, yeah. A lot of people said that, well, the bank was anti-fur, and that's why they put them under. Yeah. It wasn't that at all. No. A bank bank would, there's not many, many uh, things that a bank would cross off the list, but losing money is one of them. And so yeah. they would they would deal with anybody as long as they weren't losing money. Now and that's not entirely close. true. <laughs> pretty close. Banker. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, it was it had absolutely nothing to no, do with no, no, CIBC no, no. having any any um, ill thoughts or or malice toward the fur industry. Not at all. They had actually made a, a, a restructure, and then what happened was. The some of the ranchers wanted back at the deferred funds, and two major ranchers between the two of them were owed thirty million dollars. Yeah, and that pretty much drained the deferred funds, and that happened in September, and that's why everybody's checks started bouncing. Yeah, was that that drained everything? There was no there was no longer assets on hand, and what started the the, the collapse? Well, and and so NAFA is in receivership, not likely to come out of it, I would say, um, and there are a lot of people. Friends of ours, uh, colleagues in the in the trapping industry who we know um, are owed money. We I think our check was less than a hundred dollars, yeah. and that's not going to make or break us. It's just simply a write off. But there are a lot more people that it has affected a lot more seriously than us. And then on top of all of that, then is what is happening with the fur that is in the possession of NAFA or the receivers at this point, because those furs don't belong to NAFA or the receiver uh, or the receiver yeah. um, by extension. Yeah, uh, they still belong to the trapper who or or fur buyer who sent them in yep. to to the auction. So there we think that there is a movement afoot to try and rectify that and get those get those furs sold, but we're not 100% sure. But regardless, I think the the biggest thing to to try and give people a little bit of peace of mind is that it's the fur that's there cannot be caught up in in this uh, bankruptcy. bankruptcy or receivership situation because they were not assets of NAFA. Exactly. Deloitte is the uh, company that's doing the receivership, and uh, they've SAGA has now picked up the, uh, which is an international, uh, major international uh, fur ranching uh, operation. They have picked up the kit loans and the, and the feed loans, and they are moving forward to help the uh, ranchers pelt out mm-hmm. and in order to, to try and clear up that, uh, you know, that, debt. that debt there. There is somebody I know in the industry that is in discussion about having a fur auction. That would be the auction of the, that the uh, trappers have there, and that money would go back to the trappers. Right. It would not be captured there would, by... There would still, if there's an auction, you would still pay a fee oh, of, yeah. of whatever, whatever, but that's how NAFA always got paid from wild fur before was the auction fees that were charged. So look for more details on that as we move forward through all of this. But one other thing that came out of this, and and uh, and it could be quite serious for people involved in NAFA from, from um, the, well, maybe the board, the management, or, or what have you, but there is an article uh, that came out in, and you can look it up. It's www.fiod.nl slash mink farms conceal millions in foreign assets. So essentially what FIOD is, is the Netherlands equivalent of the IRS in America and uh, Canada Revenue Agency in Canada. So there, there, have been, there has been an investigation underway 
uh, since the beginning of 2018, so almost two years now, and there there is a criminal investigation underway um, conducted by the FIOD that shows a number of mink farms probably used a structure uh, that concealed revenue um, and avoided paying taxes. So there is a lot more to come on this, but it looks to be a very serious situation. And while it doesn't name names, it says one of the facilitators of this structure was an yeah. international fur auction. Yeah. So uh, we'll just leave it there uh, because I think to go any further on that, uh, we don't we're, we're just, we don't know. We only, I mean this, but it's published information and you can go on that website again, www.f as in Frank, I-O-D as in dog dot N as in Nancy L as in Lima, and you can um, you can find that information on there. So I think there, there's still more to come on all of this, but regardless, I think uh, most trappers who were owed money from, from the sale yeah. of proceeds, the sale of fur, uh, probably are going to be out that money, but stay tuned. Maybe yeah. maybe something miraculous will come out of it. I don't know, but the furs we we should be okay with unsold furs. We're, yeah, we're we're hoping. Uh, I know that uh, the um, president of the Wild Fur Shippers Council made an announcement that you know even after after all the years of uh, they them denying that they were uh, controlled by NAFA, um, he he has said that all of the um, uh, memberships and that that were paid for by. Uh, Wild Fur Shipper Council members and that are all tied up in the in in this uh, uh, receivership as well, and and so it's it's going to be something that we won't be getting back. You know, you paid a hundred dollars every every couple of years for for membership in it, and, and so that's that's looks like that's lost. Um, there was another IFF is the International Fur Federation, mm -hmm. which. Um, uh, defends our rights throughout the world, and they get one percent of every hammer drop at all the fur auctions throughout the world. So, so that's the gross amount. Of, yeah, yeah. As not soon as the, the hammer drops, yeah. they get that one percent of it. Um, they are owed quite a bit of money. Two point four million euro is the, mm -hmm. is the last number that I saw for uh, from NAFA. Uh, that thirty million dollars that was taken in September last year was not even included in that list of of just about fifty million dollars that is owed all the other for mm -hmm. farmers and that like it's a big there's a lot of money there so i don't know how they managed to do that after all, all, all these years or how it went so badly sideways but it just goes to show when somebody says it's, it's never gonna end start running <laughs> pull your money now investment tips okay. from from non-professional investors yeah. <laughs> from, trappers. Yeah, 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 from trappers yeah from trappers oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're in good shape now yeah. <laughs> got her down anyway um <laughs> I think it's always best that people find their own information, but we're here to give you what information that we have gleaned out of yeah. numerous conversations with individuals who who are a little closer to the situation than what we are. Well, this information is all out there. We, nobody yeah. just knows where to look. Yeah, that's the one thing about uh, about the internet is, I mean, it's everything is out there somewhere. It's just if you know where to look. Well, sometimes you have to turn over a leaf or two to find it. So. Yeah, it's anyway, back to trapping because <laughs> uh, we've, uh, since our, since our last podcast, we have been back out and set more traps and. Well, we're now, now uh, at, at the end of uh, November and we are about to start 
uh, in a day or two here, it will be uh, lynx and, and otter will start. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as far as uh, our Martin's been going, it's been pretty remarkable. Yeah, we've had a really good go of Martin. And, uh, you know, in the early years when we when we first were setting up our line, and this line had been owned by, you know, or, or managed by an individual for 30 years before we got a hold of it. But I think just in his later years, there wasn't an awful lot more that was going on. And most of it was taking place not far from the cabin because um, the gentleman who owned the the rights to trap there was slowly... Um, dementia was setting in. Yeah, dementia was setting in. And, and I think, you know, it, it just wasn't safe for him to be further away from the cabin than he already was. But regardless of that, we opened up a bunch of new territory and and we, we've taken quite a number of fisher over the years, but now the Martin are really starting to come. So The neat thing about the Martin, though, is, is not the, uh, the, the numbers. I mean, the mm-hmm. numbers are pretty stable every year now. They, yeah. We've kind of hit a nice plateau that we take all the time, but it's the disbursement that's so cool. That's and true. We actually took... Just about as far northwest as you can go on our trap line. We actually took a Martin here in, last week. Which That's, has never happened before. Never. Yeah. yeah. Like never. That That is unbelievable. And that's yeah. so cool. It is so cool because, it, you know, I mean, and, and that's the, I guess, the great part about being, about trapping is that you learn stuff about the environment around you. Um, and then you start piecing things together about, you know, what's happening. Why is it changing or why is there more of this and less of this or you know, when are the wolves coming through earlier or later? You know, yeah. they don't live on our, tra- the wolves in particular don't live no. on our trap line. They travel through because there just isn't that uh, great an, of an amount well, of big game. they don't know anything about boundary and, and, and no. they, they, they need a huge area. I mean, what is it? Uh, it takes 20,000 ungulates in Alberta. It takes 20,000 ungulates, so elk, moose, and deer. It yeah. takes 20 of them to produce enough food for 4,000 wolves. Think about that. 20,000. To produce enough food. So that means wow. you can maintain both populations Yeah. at 4,000 wolves, but it takes 20,000 ungulates to do that. Yeah. You know, so that's an immense amount of, uh, you know, they're eating a lot of food there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and they're always on the move, uh, the wolves. We're over, uh, over two dozen, um, Martin, now. Yeah. And... The amazing part is, uh, as I talked about in the previous uh, podcast, where and I don't think I've put up, I, I've, I've edited. I've been so busy trapping, I haven't edited together the uh, the the tip on uh, on judging whether it's male or female and what, how old it is on the skulls yet. But it's coming. It's coming. Honest to God, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, so busy this time of year, and then you throw Christmas in on top of it. It's always good fun. That, well, we haven't worried about that yet. I were. I, I mean, it's it's not not quite December yet. I, I got about thirty days before I have to worry about Christmas. <laughs> anyway, we um, we have found that as I've paid more and more attention to the split between my males and females, is that we are catching way more females than males. Like it's probably uh, two thirds female and juvenile. Yeah. Like over twenty, over twenty four, over two dozen. Um, uh, Martin so far, and only two have been uh, mature female. Oh. Okay, and one we as we talked about in the previous one uh, that you want to keep that mature female number at forty percent or less, or well, nowhere near Where that. We are well within that margin yeah. for sure. So I don't know. Is this something that nature does in order to spread the spread out the population? Because the females mm-hmm. are what's so important for population. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so and it's the females that are wandering. Hmm. 
very interesting stuff. Or, or we've just created an environment where, um, where they are more, well, I don't know whether more, they're traveling more. more or whether they're just not, um, more successful. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a lot of snow this year now. That's true. And we, cause we, and we, not really cold temperatures either. Cause we, no, which is good because yeah. with, if we had really cold temperatures, if we'd had 40 below with, with the little yeah. snow we got, we'd have, we'd have had a lot of Martin die. I think so too. Yeah. They, they like to live under a layer of snow and the, and the fishers are generally more successful when yep. there are, when there's less snow. So anyway, we, we have had some cold temperatures and that's meant, thank goodness that things have frozen up. So now when we drive across, uh, uh, you know, where a, a beaver dam is, I don't have my heart in my throat thinking that we're going to fall through. Yeah. And that was with the Argo anyway. And, and now that, that you're on the snowmobile, I don't worry about him being out there because when the temperatures get cold and, and we just have the one snowmobile, he goes and the favorite time of my my whole year is living at the cabin for the weekend, so we... Well, I have, I'm still doing most of the trapping from the Argo. I have now battled my way down through my, my Lynx line. Right. right. The middle of our, of our, if our, if this square here is our trap line, uh, except it would be perfectly square instead of rectangle square, the vast majority of the middle of it is, is uh, muskeg and it's black, black spruce, spruce and, and uh, tamarack muskeg. And that's where the cats are in the wintertime. Yeah. Yeah, they get out there and... Because I guess that's where the bunnies are. Well, there's lots of bunnies there because you got you have uh, you know patches of, of willows and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have a patch of willows as big as uh, as our house. And I'll have one cat pen on one end and a cat pen on the other end. And, and you know, you'll, you'll have two cats, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's all about habitat, right? Yeah. But that stuff there, I mean, that's a long, long run. You know, you're, yeah. some days are, you know, 170 kilometers. Yeah. And that you just can't do that with an Argo. It's I mean, more it's much more difficult. And then here not that long ago we had a big wind come through and I'm not sure we had a lot a lot of rain. Um yeah. the trap line got a lot of well, rain we and we talked at the last one of the last podcasts that we did about a lot of beaver dams blowing out and just being like But it froze it much. froze in really, really high. Yeah. And uh, that was part of the problem that we had with with uh, why it was hard to cross stuff and that because there was still always current because they were still yeah. still running over the top. The uh, we had more snow than we actually have right now. Yeah. But then we got this crazy amount of rain, yeah. and it <laughs> made a mess out of my uh, out of my wolf stuff and it made a mess out of my coyote bait. The one we got right here on on the home quarter because yeah, I had that all on on rams and they're all yeah. standing there with you know I have uh, I use a ram foot on them and we're, with the spike on the bottom. And, they're, they're just standing there with that rain coming and, and everything. Everything fell over. Mm-hmm. Okay, you said a free pass while we were <laughs> we were gone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happens. But the, that big rain, what I was, or big wind that I started to talk about, we had a lot of rain um, this summer, and I'm not sure whether it was just the ground saturated or whether the wind really was that strong. But we had a lot of big trees blow down. Well, the worst part was uh, you weren't with me. Where were you? You you were off. You were gone off banking or something. No, I think it was just after we got back from Mark's place, and oh. we had missed a check. So you went out right away, and I I that's stayed home was. with the dogs. Okay, yeah. that's what it was. But yeah, I'm out in the, in the dark. Yeah, and, you know, because I mean, I had very very limited amount of time, and so I didn't have anybody waiting back at the cabin for me. And and, and uh, the days were still getting shorter then. <laughs> so I I took to chasing uh, uh, going through the night and that, but. 
I would go down and I would come back on the trail and there'd be a tree this big falling over across it. Yeah. That's a creepy feeling. Well, especially in the dark because, um, you know, the machine is loud and, and yep. you don't necessarily hear if there's cracking or anything. So, yeesh, just not a good situation at no. all. I ended up cutting a lot of stuff out of the way there, but yeah. it, uh, just one of those things, you know, that's why, that's why you, you carry the power saw with you. Always so. have a chainsaw, yeah. always. But we've, uh, we, uh, as I said, we've got, a uh, just about all of our, our, uh, Fisher and Martin is out now. Yep. Uh, and I've got out a whole bunch of, of mink sets and, mm-hmm. and it's really funny because the mink sets are really successful the first week that they're out mm-hmm. and, you know, you set them on. Uh, on a beaver dam or, and you, or you set them on beside a, a creek or whatever, beside a, a undercut bank on a creek, that, that kind of thing. So, cause they're going to travel on the ice is where the mink are going to travel. And it's, uh, it's strange. Like if you take a beaver dam and you always want to set it on the top. So you got to find where yeah. the center of, uh, of that dam is where there's water leaking. You have to stand yeah. there and listen. And with my hearing, that's not, <laughs> that's not so successful anymore. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they, they're going to come up and they're going to, they're going to be searching for that running water because they're going to try and get, get back under the ice that way. Yeah. So that's where I put the box, but I put it on top of the dam. And right. the reason for that is because if I put it down below that uh, water that is running over that might, might start to overflow down there and it might freeze in my catch or it might freeze in my, in my box. Yeah. But I had one and this, this is really cool. You, you'll see it on the show, but I had a, a mink box right down on the, on the beaver dam. And mm-hmm. well, this is where, where the beaver cut down all the trees this year. Yep. Went, went crazy there. And then we had all those trees. We had to chainsaw out of the way. And so I had a, uh, that was the day I thought I'd never get fed. <laughs> You were, you were getting a big lip that day. You were pretty, pretty, pretty well, we were, and we were catching so much fur. And it was like, a, you were at the point where I don't even want to see anything anymore. We have to get out and film it. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I had the mink uh, box down on the beaver dam, and I had a martin box just right up on the bank on, on one of those down logs. And I get there, there's a martin down on the dam, and there's a mink hanging up yeah, on the tree. Yeah, <laughs> so completely opposite, right? But when we start getting this time of the year now, I don't get mink on the dams and along the creeks as much anymore. They still travel there. Yeah. I don't understand it, but I will catch them in the martin boxes now. They will actually go climb the tree. And, so and, strange, hey? Yeah. Hmm. They, um, we mentioned going trapping with Mark, and and that is a that's an entire show that we that we're doing with Mark mm. Mar- uh, Mark Montsabraton is a trapper from uh, the Carrot River, Nippon. Well, he's north of Carrot River and, right. and east of, of Nippon. Uh, Nippon. He's right at the beginning of the Cumberland Delta. Right. Okay. Which now, the Cumberland is... Delta is made made up from several rivers, but the biggest is, is the Saskatchewan River. Yeah. If anybody's ever been into walleye fishing, you've heard of Tobin Lake. And Tobin Lake is a reservoir. Is a reservoir that is made on the on the Saskatchewan River, and that is actually on his on his trap line. And yeah. so they make power there all year long, and the water keeps the, the river open for about about twenty kilometers or yeah. know, twelve miles, something. like that. And it's that. not very far from his cabin. It's like eight hundred meters or yeah. something from his cabin. So, anyway, um, we were approached in Yorkton earlier this year. And uh, there was a gentleman that asked us if we would be interested in trapping or or meeting 
a blind trapper. Yeah. And that just sort of jumped right out at us as a really good idea. Because How, how can you not? I mean, how can you not? It's quite a story, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, so w- that's how we connected with Mark. And uh, I, I, I hope he's okay with it because we plan on visiting him more. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're fascinated with the, uh, with the native uh, remedies and, and with the chaga. Yeah. And- that kind of stuff. I if I go th- go there when there's when there's well, liquid, I'm going fishing, man. <laughs> we can go fishing. That's not a problem. But uh, anyway, Mark is uh, legally blind. He has six percent of his vision, and it's it's primarily it's a it's a macro. It's retinosis pigmentosa or something like that. Oh, okay. And so. Most of your vision, most people don't understand, is that you have a great big blind spot in the middle of your eye that you have to stare. Your, your brain makes up for it, but you can find it by, by staring at a neutral background and, and uh, moving your finger across and your finger will disappear. And so most of our vision is, is actually peripheral. peripheral vision. And on you and I, well, me for sure, I don't know about you, but <laughs> we, have a, comes. we have, we, we have uh, more than 90% of our peripheral vision available yes. to us. Yes. He has 6%. Yes. So he gets, uh, he, he, he's like looking through a, cardboard tube out of a and i'm not even sure roll. if he has that much yeah. Yeah. it's like it is it's very apparent when you meet him one of the nicest guys we've ever yeah. run into and uh anyway so we were over in saskatchewan i think it was i think it was like the last weekend of november no it would have been middle-ish middle second second third-ish somewhere in there i think it was the 22nd 23rd that yeah. we were over there that's so Okay. <laughs> it was the end, just like you said. <laughs> you bankers. <laughs> anyway, we we drove. Well, it's a long drive from here. It's yeah. a, a good eight. Is how far is it? About twelve hours, I guess. Twelve or thirteen no, hours. More. If you have fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen. Um, and we stopped and saw our daughter and her family along the way on the ranch, and then buzzed off and and went over to. Uh, Went over to the Carrot River, Cumberland Delta. It yeah. was a beautiful place, and oh, it yeah. was very mild. The temperatures were very mild, and and we had lots of fun. We stayed at the cabin, and I thought one of the neat things was was the 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 delta was was formed by the retreat of the Laurentian ice shield. Okay, I looked this up. Good. I had to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm into this stuff. You are kind of geeky that way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I heard that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, as it retreated, uh, of course, you, you realize that uh, we get a lot of um, of our geologic uh, formations and that are formed by glaciers. And yeah. one of them is a moraine. And there's several different kinds of moraine, but one is, is that, that is on the perimeter. And what it is is as the uh, glacier melts and recedes, you have all this water running off. Well, it carries everything that, that, that's been carried in that glacier, in that ice, all that sand and dirt, the silt, glacial till, all comes up. And in, in, and with a case of an edge moraine, well, then mm-hmm. it, it produces this edge, or, or and now in, in modern day, it's a ridge. Well, this ridge runs across his trap line, across yeah. the river and everything, mm-hmm. you know, and that ridge is where most of his trapping takes place because, yeah. because the animals focus on that. It, it's a change from swamp and muskeg yeah. Uh, to uh, there's birch. Yeah. Uh, birch and poplar hardwoods. Yes, and he's oh, there are so many birch trees on that property, and that's where chaga comes from. And so. it's it's just one of those things. It's one people always are always saying, well, you know, wh- where do I set a trap to catch this on my trap line? And I always say, 
how well do you know your trap line? Well, yeah, like and I, look for the changes. Look for yeah. yeah. I mean, that make that means a lot. Um, you know, we've talked about it on on coyote sh- uh, shows before, where yeah. you know, if you're setting um, footholds, look for the change in terrain or environment. Crops you know, or, like, yeah, on crops because yep. you'll go from a hay crop to a to a grain crop and there's always there's always that transition in between the fields and so you know look for those kinds of things because the the animals just kind of naturally go to those kinds of things but yeah it was it was very cool and uh, we spent a couple of days with him the weather was mild which was good um but he has a helper now to to drive the quad because we were we were yeah. on quad. They had more snow there than we did, but the trails are pretty well used through yeah. there by yeah. him. So his helper Brad, um, very considerate young man. No kidding, um, yeah, yeah. He, you know, when you're riding uh, behind somebody, you you generally have to look out for whatever willow is coming your way or or whatever. Um, and Brad just always was very good about making sure that he cleared the way that because he he knows that. Well, look, most of us guys, we just duck and the guy behind you gets it, you know. Girl. Oh yeah, you've been taken care of. You've been, you've been pampered your whole life, girl. Oh. Pamp- pampered. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what that's what we're calling it. Okay. Anyway, uh, Brad is a is a super nice kid and uh, and we really just had lots of fun over there so my, you'll watch for that on an upcoming episode well my favorite part too like i mean he's into everything he's into chaga and wildflower honey and oh and, yeah uh, wild rice and wild he, rice, he, uh, yeah. he got some leases and so he plants wild wild rice in these leases and then he says he goes out to do some harvesting the guy's blind okay and he says i did it the traditional way with the, with the uh, canoe and and bending the stock <laughs> over and beating and he says it's harder work than it looks and i keep thinking to myself he's blind he's blind you know so <laughs> anyone that tells you that they can't do something i i would you know point them to mark montsbrot and say well, uh can't ain't a word well and he did really good on yeah. on, on uh, the Martin and Fisher while we were there. Yeah. But every time he's setting up a trap, and honest to God, guys, you know we've all caught ourselves with traps. But he takes and sets it up and and it puts it up there, and, and I, the guy is blind. And I said, Mark, I said that's the first I ever seen anybody set a trap by Braille. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you true. know, but but when you get into a rhythm, and I and I see you do this all the time. You know, and a lot of people will call in and or or write to us or whatever and say you never took the um, safety off the safety off or off the springs, yeah, the springs, and and it's just like it's just a, a fluid motion, and they but it's all in how he puts it in and takes the yeah. takes them off all at the same time, and so Mark has been very good at developing his own rhythm and that's how he sets the traps so you know how can you you can't argue with that and he had a lot of success doing it as well right oh yeah, yeah. Very, very good very good he was a wonderful guy the other we, thing that he does is he uh, taps birch trees for sap in the spring so i'm gonna i'll, I'll be on his facebook page and we'll we'll <laughs> we'll figure that out because he gave me a tap so <laughs> All I have to do is find a birch tree, and we don't have any on our property here. But we do actually. Do we? Not very big ones, but oh. we do. Well, we might have to start with a small one just to see how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, I'm. Um, I think we're probably going to do a little bit more about that on on some future shows because I am really intrigued 
well, he, with with indigenous medicines. Well, he wants us healing. to come back in the spring. Yeah. Because in, in Saskatchewan, it's legal to trap bear. Yes. You, actually, you snare them. Yes. You don't use traps. You, you snare them. And he's he has a an order from a taxidermist for, for six bear for this spring. Wow. And so he wants to he'll set up some bait sites and we get there, then open the snares and that could be quite the rodeo. I'm I'm not sure that I want to have the camera in my hand when the blind guy's trying to shoot the bear. I'm not- <laughs> pretty sure the gun's gonna be in somebody else's hand other than Mark's, but I I get your point. Anyway. It's um it's we've got so much fun stuff going on and honestly you know, the more people we meet, the more people we meet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it's starting to become a really cool thing, the number of people who have something just a little bit different to offer to us yep. and for us to be able to share that. And, and believe me, they want to share it. And I think that's what a lot of trappers are. I mean, we've talked about this before, you know, somebody in um, Wisconsin or, or Minnesota or whatever, isn't going to be trapping where we're trapping. So to tell people what we're doing, if it just helps you think of things a little differently or look for something a little bit more specific when you're, when you're setting your traps, whatever, but more than anything, it's showing that trapping is is normal and we you know it's part of the ecosystem and and what we're doing is real it's not put on like absolutely there's so many that are here's one of those things um most people that watch the show know know i make my own lynx lure and i make it from the intestinal tract of of the of the lynx and they keep asking me and asking me and finally i was paying attention well (laughs) this starts about at about Christmas time every year, I start next year's batch. Yes. Okay. So yeah. right now I'm I'm doing the final grooming <laughs> of last year's stuff, right. so, so I can set up my links line. I'll, I'll start setting up my links line in the next couple of days. Yeah. But I realized I'm looking through it, I'm stirring it, and I, I realized by the hair that's in there is like my favorite links, the ones that I'm picking to do this with, have just ate a rabbit. Ah. Okay, because I'm stirring it today, and it's like, what's that? You know, it's going around on the. I got, I got a, a mud, uh, a drywall paddle on the, <laughs> on the drill, <laughs> and so it's going around, around. It's like, what the heck's that? Here it's an ear, it's a rabbit ear going flop, flop, flop around. So, and I realized that you know when you when you get a lot of uh, coyotes or wolves or lynx, and they're dead when you get there, of course, because you've snared them, and they have green belly. Yes. Well, what that is is their the, the enzymes in their belly kept going. Yes. Because they're plump full of meat. Yes. So that's that's what that is. And that's the ones that I always pick are the ones with the green belly. So it's it's not every lynx that makes a good uh, that makes makes good lure. And I wonder if it's it's the the rab- the mixture of the rabbit meat in there with the lynx meat or if it's just the rabbit meat that's important. I don't know. I don't know, but it's but again, it's paying attention to your environment and and whatever is going on. So that's really cool. And that'll be you you I believe be doing a, a bit of a segment or a how to or something on making your links lure, right? I should actually open one up that's full of rabbit. Oh, sure you should. I'm not going to, no. <laughs> See if I can find the ears like okay, I did today. Okay, good. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, but I mean, it's funny. It's like one of those things. It's like, like you say, when I'm setting the trap and I, I don't even yeah. think about my hands do it out. I never even thought about it. I just, people ask me and I say, well, just take the innards out and, and let it rot down over the summer and stir it every now and then. Like It's really easy. But I just realized yeah. today when I'm stirring, I was like, oh yeah, I don't use them off every links. It's just 
Just the ones that have the green belly because that's the one that's full. Yeah. And it's got meat in there. Yeah. I think, Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, there's oh, there's so much, and there's there's so much unknown, so much to learn. So if we can shortcut that for people, that's really cool. And speaking of of you know people in general, our Amazon Prime numbers are way up again. Yeah, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. And our Facebook pages are growing. There's uh, the group, which is a closed group. Uh, Trapping Inc. Yeah. And you have to ask to join it. But, you know, as long as you've got a, a picture of a fish or some hunting or yeah. something on there, <laughs> I let you I let you in. <laughs> um, and we really encourage people to be involved in that one. Share what you know. Um, you know, other There's than some... if it's your neighbor trying to compete with you on a piece of, of property, maybe you don't want to share with him or her. But... For the most part, trappers really, really just want people to know that it. it you know what? You know what's cool. Good. You know what's really cool is mm. is the the number of families. Yes. The number of young kids that are out that are being brought back up into in the, the life of trapping, and we encourage share everything. Please share our YouTube, share Amazon. Just keep spreading the word because the more people spreading the truth. Yeah. Really, I mean that's the only way that we're going to uh, rise above some of the nonsense that's out there right now. Is is for people who even aren't in the trapping industry, they don't trap or whatever. Um, but if they know what the real is, uh, they they aren't then easily swayed by someone who is uh, an anti and and it, and truth doesn't have anything to do yep. with what they what they're trying to deliver out to the public. They they just always want the the nasty and <laughs> and we. We're all about the real, and yeah, we're just having a lot of fun with it. Absolutely having a lot of fun. And we really enjoy hearing from you folks. You can reach us by email, info at trappinginc.com, and we are on on Facebook pages, we're on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, so there's the group, group, all that stuff. Twitter, there is the page, Trapping Inc. TV page, which we would just like you to like, and um, apart from that... We, we really enjoy the feedback we get. We are so very grateful for the people who watch us and, and spread our name around and, and tell us nice things. It's really rewarding. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hope you've had fun. We've got to get, get going. I, I got to get, uh, I'm headed to the line tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it has been uh, a blast as usual. Maybe we'll see you down the line.